arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the providence of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city in the, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Only My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the God, to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that the n- none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watching over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, God, and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sacrificed. Thanks, team. There is no one like you. All my hope is in Jesus. Um, That's uh, better than Fort Knox, I can tell you that, uh, friends. If your hope's in Jesus Christ, nothing will shake you in this world because the hope we have in Jesus Christ is an eternal hope goes way beyond this world and into the eternal. So we thank God for that we can sing a song like that. Right, uh, let me get set up. <coughs> Excellent. You know, sometimes you push a button, it doesn't quite go exactly where you want it to go. Has anybody ever experienced that before? Am I the only one, am I? Give me two seconds. Give me two seconds. have you gone? Okay. We'll go to plan B. I found it, but it's in a different file where I had it before. Don't you love technology when it works really well and don't you really not like it when it doesn't work very well?
Brilliant. Okay, what, uh, what makes a good leader? What makes a person um, who people will follow? Uh, Winston Churchill was a good leader for England in World War II. Uh, he was a man who courageously fought for what was right for the good of humanity. Uh, with deep conviction, he inspired England uh, to remain true and bold against a very evil enemy, also a very powerful enemy. Uh, Winston Churchill was a man who, uh, who knew his people well and also shared their hardships when, uh, with them. And I think there's something about people like that, particularly that uh, the world gravitates to when they see a leader of authenticity, someone like Winston Churchill, a strong leader, a good leader. Uh, today, we want to think about uh, the God who raises up true leaders from the book of Jeremiah as we think about leadership today. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Jeremiah chapter 23. And uh, we're going to read from verses 1 through the 22 and then also verses 28 and 29 of the same chapter. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You've scattered my flock and have, not, and have driven them away and you've not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and I will bring them back to the fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for, for, for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the northern country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers, because of the curse the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness, into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he's executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you'll understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. And down to verse 28, 29. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my words speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Father, we uh, thank you that we can gather before you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this word that we've just written, uh, just read, that has been written for us. Uh, this word, perhaps written two and a half thousand years ago, is alive. God, it speaks into our hearts and our minds today. There might be a lot of stuff in there we don't understand. Uh, but I pray today, God, as we begin to think about true prophets versus lots of the false prophets we read about there that you did not send, but yet they ran. You did not command them to speak, yet they spoke. We'll think about the true prophets though, who come and speak your word when commanded by you. So Holy Spirit, we pray now, please just open up our hearts to hear that, to see that, to glorify Jesus Christ in that and to grow in his goodness in our lives. And Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this very same passage and we took it from the negative perspective because there's quite a bit of negative sort of talk through that passage there about false shepherds, false teachers, false prophets. And we looked closely there at what they were doing. Uh, we looked at it, the disaster that it was for Judah that these false prophets, false teachers were saying everything's all right when everything wasn't all right. They were telling them, just keep doing what you're doing, even though they were living in a very evil way. Uh, the people were totally led astray, and actually they fell in love with this false teaching. As it were, it just seemed to just hit the spot for them as they lived in this evil way of living. They wanted the false teaching of those prophets more than what they wanted the truth of who God was and what he had to say to them. Judah, at this point, is on the brink of God's right judgment. Prophet, priest, and king are all unfaithful before God and, and before the people as well. But God graciously isn't finished with them just yet. It's not just yet. God is merciful and gracious and patient with us way more than we deserve. Way more than we deserve. That's who God is. God sends to Judah true shepherds or true prophets and teachers to call them back to repent or to turn around from living evilly and to live down a way that uh, will be truthful and for their eternal good to call them back to him god and god today hasn't changed god's no different today than what he was two and a half thousand years ago god is still raising up people to shepherd and care for people 
to nurture them in truth and for their eternal good. God is still raising up shepherds to do that. God is gracious, loves us deeply, and He does provide for us in every possible way. So today, let's look at the true shepherd here from this passage that God provides and calls for to feed and to lead His sheep to know and experience His holiness and His goodness. As we think about true shepherds or true prophets or true priests or true kings or true leaders, it could be another way of saying that. What is a true shepherd then? As we think about that today and think about it in comparison to where we saw the false shepherds there a couple of weeks ago. One of the key faults of the false shepherds that we saw from a couple of weeks ago is that they didn't seek the face of God intimately. They did not spend their time knowing who God was. They didn't make time to allow the truth of who God was and His life, as it were, to fill their very own souls. They just went away on their own imaginations and their own thoughts and their own ideas and their own dreams that we just saw there, and that's how they thought they could sort of somehow represent God. But that's not what a true shepherd does. A true shepherd or true prophet or true priest longs and lives for God to be in His presence and to know who He is. It says it for us there in verse 18 of Jeremiah 23. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear His word? Or who has paid attention to His word and listened? God is saying that through Jeremiah in comparison to the false prophets and the false teachers. Who among those ones has stood in the counsel of the Lord? This is what a true shepherd does. Stands in the counsel of the Lord. It's just a little verse here, tucked away in the, in the rest of this passage, but it says so much to us as we think about that. A true shepherd longs and lives for being in the presence of God, knowing who the Creator is. A true shepherd longs to know the heart and the character of God by being in His presence. A true shepherd or a true priest or a true prophet longs to hear God's Word longs to hear the truth and let it soak into his own heart and his own life. A true shepherd desires that God's glory is made known throughout all the earth as he spends time in the presence of the one who's made it all. A true shepherd makes time to be with God. You may ask right here then, well, how do we know what it is to be in God's presence? Because not one person here can actually see God in the physical, can we? It's not like I can sort of just go down to Marupta and maybe meet God at Maccas or something like that. It doesn't work like that. God is spirit. We can't see Him with our eyes. So what does it mean when He says, be in God's presence or stand in the counsel of the Lord, as it says there? So where does God reveal Himself? Where do we meet this God who shows Himself to us? Because we want to be in His presence. God reveals Himself to us or shows Himself to us primarily in His Word, in His truth. This is where we meet God. It's a book. This is where we meet God. But it's just ink on pages. This is where we meet God. This is where we meet Him. We open this up and He speaks to us out of this living, eternal Word. If you get in here, you'll meet God. This is where you're discovering. This is where you find Him. It's in the Bible where we see the clearest picture of God. 
It's here in his word that he reveals to us who he is and what he's like. We see in God's word what he has done and what he's going to do. We see in God's word how he thinks. We see how he responds in certain situations and how he reacts in different events. If a true shepherd is going to represent God in some sense, the shepherd must spend time with him to get to know him. And this is precisely, precisely what Jeremiah is telling us here in chapter 23, verse 22. He says again, But if they had stood in my counsel, but if they had stood in my presence, if they had come to know me and be with me, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. The true shepherd stands in God's presence and then relays on God's words, passes them on. As the true shepherd hears God's word from the Bible, which is God's word, he can't help but want to pass that on. He wants to pass that on. He's just heard from God. Why does he want to pass that on? Because he's just heard the voice of the sovereign creator. And who would not dare to listen to the very one who gives us our life and breath, what he's got to say? He wants to pass on that truth. A true shepherd understands that what the Lord says, we need to hear, we need to listen to, we need to take into our lives. As the true shepherd, the true prophet or the true priest, true leader, dwells in God's presence, spends time in God's presence through this living eternal word and understands him better as he sees what God says about himself, what they see is a picture of God in his holiness. They see he's a beautiful God and a holy God who's pure in every way. Then that true shepherd must speak of God's holy nature, that he's a gloriously holy, pure God. And in so doing, the true shepherd will then call out against any actions that don't honour this holy God who's given to us life. Look at the last part of verse 22 again. It says it there for us. And they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their day, uh, of the evil deeds. A true shepherd will call people to holy living because he's discovered who the true God is through his living and eternal word. And he will call them out and say, we need to live this way. This is the God who gives us life and breath. That's not an easy thing to do, though. It's not an easy thing to do. To speak about sin, as in disobeying God, and holiness isn't a popular message today. It doesn't sit easily with us. In fact, it's never been a popular message to talk about sin and to talk about holiness. If we just read through the bits and pieces of Jeremiah coming up to here, he's getting a fair bit of grief for talking about holy living, talking about sin, things that don't honour God. And he's going to get into more grief as we go further into the book of Jeremiah. Well, again, for just talking about the holy nature of who God is and talking about sin. The culture we live in today doesn't like that message because the culture we live in says... You can live how you like and do what you like just as long as you don't hurt anyone doing it. That's what true freedom is meant to be. Do what you like, when you like, how you like, as long as you don't hurt anyone in what you're doing. But then a prophet comes along or a true preacher comes along 
or a true shepherd comes along and says, no, our living is not holy. Our living is not pleasing before God, the one who gives us life and breath. And it doesn't go down well. The true shepherd will speak all of God's counsel and speak it out clearly so that we can hear what God says. Here's how Paul uh, described it for us in the book of Acts when he was talking to the Ephesian elders. He says this, Acts chapter 20. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul's called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. There's a picture there of Paul and his character who's humble and compassionate. He served the Lord with all humility and with compassion. He had tears as he shared with them the truth of God and who he was in Paul's life. Verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Paul say there? I did not shrink back. I told you everything and anything that was helpful for you. Paul, a true shepherd, continued to call the people back to repentance from sin. His message was one of grace in Jesus Christ, but holy living away from sin as well. And to put our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who makes it all possible. Let's move on, verse 22. And now behold, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, witness to, proclaim the gospel of, of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It's a great passage here we see about this um, Apostle Paul, and he says it again, I did not shrink back. I did not hold back from declaring to you what is the whole counsel of God. I didn't just say the nice, comfortable, positive message, which there's plenty of that in the Bible, Paul says, I didn't just do that, but I also told you the difficult truths, the hard truths, the truths that we need to hear. Because we all think we're a whole lot better than what we really are if we would just be honest with ourselves. Paul said, I actually gave you the whole counsel of God. And exactly when you needed to hear those hard truths, Paul's saying, I gave them to you compassionately and humbly. So why else did Paul tell them the whole counsel of God? Let's follow that on because he wanted to prepare them for the future. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men 
speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend to you God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What's a true shepherd do? Speaks the truth. The whole truth. Nothing but the truth. So that the people will meet God and know who God is through the truth. And also discover who we are, because that's just as important to know. And then to let us know what God requires of us in the light of who He is and who we are. A true shepherd speaks the truth so that people are prepared to recognize a false shepherd when they may turn up. A true shepherd gets people to meet God in the Bible, to meet God in His Word. A true shepherd proclaims, declares, speaks out God's Word so that people will meet Him. A true shepherd also knows the value of God's Word. That it's not something to just sort of take it or leave it depending on how I feel. It's something that's strong and nourishing and deep for us. Again, Jeremiah speaks about it in verses 28 and 29 here of chapter 23. He says this, Let the prophet, he's talking about a false prophet here, who has a dream, tell the dream. But let him who has my word, the true shepherd, true prophet, speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Very descriptive here of the strength of God's word and the truth that it really is. God's word here is pictured as something that feeds us. Something that feeds us. It's like feeding sheep as we think about shepherds. We've got to think here, what will nourish and strengthen sheep? Will it be wheat or will it be straw? Now, I guess if I asked Tim Amory down the back, what would be the best thing to feed sheep? He'd probably say, don't feed them straw. And Neville, his dad would probably the same thing. Feed them wheat. Because there's nothing in straw. It's empty. There's no nutritional value really in straw at all. It's just the empty husk of the stalk. There's nothing there at all to build any strength on if you fed sheep on straw. So God is saying, let the person who has their own words or their own dreams or their own imaginations, their own ideas, tell them. Tell them. Tell them your own thing, God's saying. But it's just going to be like straw. There's going to be nothing in it because it's not based on the truth. It's not based on who God is and what He says about us. It's just like straw. But in contrast, He says this, but let us speak God's Word. Let us speak His truth. And He says it's like wheat when you feed the sheep. You feed the sheep wheat and they will fatten up and they will grow strong and they will grow healthy. It's something that builds strength into us is the truth and the value of who God is and His Word. It's like a fire. It's like a fire that purifies us. It's like a fire that burns out, as it were, all the falseness about us. It's a word that is like a hammer here, God says. And what does this hammer do? It breaks down the lies and the falseness that we try and build up around our lives. 
this word of truth comes in like a hammer and begins to dismantle and break down all these false structures that we have around about us. And it leads us out of darkness and into hope and into truth. And to do this, a true shepherd must be intimately in God's presence by his word. Thoroughly versed in God's word, letting it, as it were, come and saturate his life and saturate his soul by the power of God's spirit. What else will a true shepherd be for us if we think about that today? In God's presence, intimately thinking in God's word and allowing the life of God as a word to come through him as he reads and thinks and meditates upon that. But I think the character of a true shepherd is really, really important as well. Because a true shepherd won't just carry on speaking out God's word in a cold or a heartless fashion, sort of, you know, impassionate to what's taking place at the time. He's not to be someone who's unconcerned about the plight of the people in their welfare and in their spiritual condition, like he just says it, or he or she says it, and nothing happens, and there's no feeling or no empathy for it. A true shepherd, as we saw in the very first few verses of this chapter, is one who cares immensely for the people. He has an empathy for the people. Just three things I'll say here about the character that I think is paramount with a true shepherd. Humility, compassion and conviction. I could say plenty more about that, but I think these three are really, really important. And I think a true shepherd should convey these character attitudes to be a true uh, prophet, priest or shepherd of God. Now, humility is the first one. Let's have a look at in Jeremiah uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He says this right back at the start. Then I said, this is Jeremiah now referring back to God. Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. I don't know how to speak, I'm only a youth, he says. God's called Jeremiah to this ministry of being a prophet, but Jeremiah responds in humility. Lord, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm only just me, little old Jeremiah. There's no tickets on Jeremiah. He's very humble about what he's been called to do. He's not seeing this as a platform to grandstand himself or build up his own reputation. He's humble, and that's paramount of being a true shepherd, his humility. Compassion is another one. Here it is again in Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah says this, My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Crash follows hard on crash. The whole land is waste. Suddenly my tents are laid waste, my curtains in a moment. How long must I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? I'm probably still not giving that justice there, the way Jeremiah is writing that. There's like a groaning within Jeremiah as he writes that. He says, my anguish, my anguish. Why has he got this anguish? Because he can see the brokenness of this world around about him. He's not dispassionate towards that. He feels it and he empathizes with it. He says, my anguish, my anguish. A true shepherd must feel compassion for the brokenness that is around about us. It doesn't end there with with, uh, Jeremiah again. He shows conviction as well. Along with humility and compassion is conviction. Jeremiah chapter 20, he says this, For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. 
For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding in. I cannot. Jeremiah is saying, I just seem to be saying a lot of negative things, Lord. Violence and destruction, because there's lots of evil around about me. And it's becoming me a very hard task to keep talking like this, because I'm being reproached or derided all day long. And then Jeremiah said, well, I just won't say it anymore. I'll just go and sit in a corner, and I'll just be quiet, and I won't even talk about it. But he can't do that. Why? Because he says it's like a fire burning in his heart. Something has got inside of him. He's got conviction of who God is. He's got the conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ deep in his heart. It's not something for Jeremiah that just sits on the surface. It's in him. It's good, even though it's difficult what he needs to say at this particular time. It's a fire, as we're locked up in his bones. He says, I need to speak this out because I want the people to be set free from the way they're living. It's conviction. And a true shepherd must have this, must have conviction. Humility, compassion, and conviction are sure marks of the character of a true shepherd. So as we think about that today, if we think about true shepherds, what does that look like in 2019? April the 7th, 2019. What does that look like? We're talking Jeremiah two and a half, half thousand years ago. What are we thinking about if we think about true shepherds today and our responsibilities towards them and ourselves as we think about what God is doing? God is still raising up shepherds today. A different nature to what Jeremiah was, but still raising up shepherds. We call them pastors. Same thing or similar name. Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 tells us that God is still appointing pastors to equip the church and to build it up. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. God is still doing this. He's still raising them up. The Holy Spirit is using pastors to strengthen the church. As we think about these God-appointed positions, I want to round it out by looking at this passage here in 1 Peter and we'll think about how that looks today. 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 1 says this. So, this is Peter talking to the elders, slash pastors, slash true shepherds. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, primarily directed towards me but you're in there as well I am God's appointed pastor shepherd elder of this church I am an under shepherd 
a shepherd who is under the chief shepherd in Jesus Christ. I have commands to faithfully carry out the duties of a pastor, shepherd. My first priority is that God is glorified by true, faithful preaching of His Word in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is my first priority. And I'm to do this for the salvation of our souls first and foremost. That is our biggest need. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear about Jesus Christ. We need to hear about God. We need to hear about ourselves. We need to hear about this world for the salvation of our souls. That is the most precious possession that you have is your eternal soul. And me, like any other true shepherd, is called to do this without fear or favour of man. He's called to speak out the truth, whether it makes him popular or unpopular. God has called pastors to deliver the whole counsel of God for the eternal good of the people. That's the command. That's the role. This doesn't mean a pastor isn't concerned about our temporal needs and the challenges we face here and now. Absolutely, we empathise with all of that and we do what we can through all of that. But our biggest need is our eternal salvation. Because I can come alongside you and sympathise you through a cancer journey and maybe help nurse you through to the end, but if I don't do anything about telling you the gospel, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Because you may have suffered with cancer for 40 years, which I wouldn't want anybody to do, but if that's all I've done is help you with that journey of cancer and haven't helped you with the biggest need of your life, and that is your eternal salvation, you're going to have a whole eternity to actually rue that you never came and wanted to hear about Jesus. Eternal salvation is the big one. A pastor helps people to grow in holiness. This is the transforming grace of the gospel to produce holy lives. And what flows out of that is joyful living. It doesn't, in some ways it doesn't sound right because you think, because well, we have this wrong concept of what holiness is all about. But if we live holy lives, it actually produces deep joy, deep fulfillment, deep satisfaction. And all of this transforming grace is directly related to our everyday lives as we speak that into where we are and what we're up to. We will show how the gospel speaks clearly into every aspect of our lives to try and help grow people in holiness and produce joy. My greatest joys in pastoring is this, seeing people saved, seeing people grow in the gospel. If there's anything that lights my fire or pushes my button, it's that. I get tremendous joy when I see people saved or I see people actually grow in the gospel. When I see people grow in their maturity and understand and get a bigger vision of who Jesus Christ is and I see them growing and maturing, it produces joy within me. Great joy. Conversely, my hardest times and my most disappointing times are when people aren't getting saved and when people aren't growing and when people are struggling even though it's right in front of them what they need to do. When I see that, it causes me pain and it causes me hurt because I long to see people grow. When it's not happening, it hurts. It pains. 
Now, there's accountability in all this as well. Absolutely accountability. Firstly, I'm fully accountable to God for how I carry out my ministry. Fully accountable to God. You just let that roll off your tongue. I'm fully accountable to God, the master of the universe. I'm fully accountable for Him to how I carry out my ministry. Every word I speak, I'm fully accountable to God for. When I'm standing up here, in a sense, I'm representing God. I'm not God, but I'm representing God and His Word because I'm opening His Word up and I'm saying, this is what God says. This is His Word. I'm representing Him, in a sense. I'm saying, as it were, these are God's words. I'm fully accountable for God for that. In James, it actually tells us that we are told there the teachers of God's Word are held to a stricter judgment. God will hold me to a strict judgment. What did you say about me? Did you declare the truth? Or did you declare your own dreams or your own ideas? It's an awesome privilege. It really is to stand up here and do this but it's a weighty responsibility. I stand before God fully accountable for what I say. I'm also accountable to you guys. Absolutely. Accountable to everybody who sits in front of me. You have a responsibility to make sure what I say is true. If you go back through Acts, in Acts 17, you'll see Paul met the Bereans there and he told them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what did the Bereans do? They searched the scriptures to see whether what Paul was saying was right. We're just going to check you out, Paul, to see whether what you're saying is right. You have every right, and I want you to, to hold me accountable. Am I saying what the Bible is saying? And if I'm not, I need to be corrected. I need to be held to account. This accountability goes both ways though. The very next verse in 1 Peter says this in chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, we're just not talking younger people, older people there. It's just the, the way that Peter's talking about it. He's talking about the people in the church. Be subject to the elders. You have a responsibility to not only hear God's word, but also to obey it and to put it into practice in your life. Be subject to or listen to the elders or the pastors that God has appointed in your place. Because if I'm truly speaking God's word, if I'm truly speaking God's word and you're not listening to it, you're not disobeying me, you're not rejecting my word, you are ultimately rejecting God's word. And that is a fearful place to be in. If I'm truly representing God and truly speaking God's word and you're not going to follow it, you're not rejecting me, you are ultimately rejecting God. That is a fearful place to be in. Now you might say, this is all too hard. This is all too hard. Who, how can we have a pastor to live and lead like that? Or how can we be a people who uphold and follow their pastor like that? This is just way too hard. Who can do this? 
Well, we can only do this because one has gone before us and already done that for us. And his name is Jesus. We see him here in John chapter 10 again from God's word. He says this, Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received my Father. There's only one shepherd who makes all this possible. And that is the good shepherd who has gone before us and laid down his life to enable us with the power that we need to set the example to follow after him. And he sets that example by laying down his life at the cross in our place, bearing our guilt, our shame and our condemnation, bearing our sin. His life was authentically backing up what he said. He didn't just say it and not do anything about it. He actually lived out exactly as he said. And he offers that same life to us today through the Holy Spirit. This life empowers us then to be the true shepherds we need to be and then to follow Jesus in what he's called us to do. And this is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see uh, authentic, true pastors, true shepherds, unafraid of speaking the truth, but who do it with uh, humility, compassion and conviction in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the, church needs, and the world needs to see a church who truly hear God's word through their pastor and then obey it. This has been God's way all of, for all of time. So I ask you this question today as we think about that, as we wrap all that together. What are you going to do with God's word today? If I've truly represent, uh, represented God from the, from the scriptures, are you going to put into practice Will you follow what God has told us here? Or will you pretend you just never heard it and just go on life without it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that today we can come around your word and see this truth as it were, uh, light a path for us going forward. God, I pray today that you would do the miracles of salvation in our heart. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would come and, as it were, breathe life into this Word. Let this Word produce grace in our hearts, I pray. For all the excuses we put up over all the years, Lord, I pray today your Word would come in like a hammer and dismantle all of those excuses. I pray today, Lord, for all the lies we've believed, I pray your Word would come like a fire today and set alight all those lies that we have believed and burn them out of our lives. I pray today that your word would come in like a light, as it were, shine into the darkness of our hearts and light up to us the wonder and the beauty and the glory of who Jesus Christ is. That Holy Spirit, you would take this word today and do miracles with it 
miracles of sight and miracles of hearing, perhaps for the first time. God, we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. We're going to just uh, sing a song to...